There's John, and uh, yes. and and we'll get Jack on when we see him on the camera. John, you're you're muted right at the moment. There you go. I think you just I took think it off. Good mute, to go. So. Awesome. Thanks, Francis. Thanks, Judy. Thank we'll see you all here much. in a few minutes. All right, uh, John Schwartz, and uh, and here comes Jack Sparks. There he is. Um, first of all, welcome. Really appreciate you guys being a part of Race Industry Week again, John. Well, pleasure. You always enjoy it. Looking forward to the show next week. Uh, what we are, and that's what we do. Ah, that's wonderful. Jack, how are you doing today? Andy, just Andy. I'm I'm here as a pretty face. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, look, AVA has been around since the 1950s and uh, and has a really long history and everything. And uh, and John, for someone who might not be completely familiar, uh, you know, the problems that you guys solve and what AVA does for oiling systems and everything else. Tell us about it. Well, basically, we originally started when uh, the founder of the company, a gentleman by the name of Tom Davis, was kept blowing up the motor in his race boat. And they finally figured out one day that if he expanded the oil capacity in the sump of his Pontiac, that it wouldn't blow up as often. So one thing led to another, and he started a commercial sheet metal business uh, and kept making, you know, building more and more oil pans. He discovered that if he gave sprint car racers oil pants can get free tickets into the into the sprint car races. So over the years, they started producing product for Ford, for uh, in fact, it was for Ford, all of this, all of the Ford, Chevrolet, uh, all of the Formula 5000 Can-Am cars that were running American V8s at the time. Uh, at one point, Bruce McLaren came to them and about a new engine that we're getting from Chevrolet and new shorter wheels and tires that are getting from Goodyear. And he needed a five and a half inch oil pan, only to be told that, well, not if you want a stock oil pump in it. And uh, so he had come out of the commercial sheet metal business, uh, commercial, the military aircraft industry as a sheet metal mechanic. But he remembered that the old Allison aircraft engines all had little spurvier scavenge pumps affixed to the cylinder head so that when they flew inverted, they could pump oil to a gimbaled oil tank in the plane. So he gathered up some small block Chevy pump gears and uh, did a couple of drawings and had a couple of guys that worked for him that had a machine shop uh, build uh, the first uh, commercially available small block Chevy dry sump pump system. And it was introduced at the uh, Los Angeles Grand Prix in March of 1969, and then the rest of its history. So since then, it's been all about solving lubrication problems for people, people in motorsports, regardless of whether they drive, fly, swim, or uh, whatever direction they want to go in. Yeah, which has been wonderful. And uh, and Jack, obviously, uh, with your history, you have a very intimate knowledge of engine internals and just how important it is to have the proper oiling system as well. Uh, you know, what can you talk about when it comes to Aviate and uh, the products and being able to find the right solution? Well, that's 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 absolutely right. The 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 oiling system is so. I mean, it's the heart of the engine. Um, you know, as you well aware, I. I primarily make connecting rods, which obviously was the first to fail because we're the last in, in line. So consequently, uh, I, I was um, I was uh, mentored in oiling systems. And, and once again, that's what developed John and my relationship. Because as I said, um, 
fortunately it wasn't every time, but anytime anybody went out of a race, uh, it would run hairs up my back when we threw a rod. Uh, and what they usually did is uh, they lost oil supply. And once again, with a, anybody with the simplest knowledge of an internal combustion engine, the last feed of a pressure fed oil system is a connecting rod. So it's gonna be the first to fail. Um, so I, that's, and John and I have worked together for a while because things, as things have got more sophisticated, more critical dimensional integrity and stuff like that, um, the, the oiling system has become far more critical. Uh, you know, needless to say, look at the production rates. I mean, when I say production, I mean, you know, horsepower, RPM, or stuff like that. You know, I mean, 15 years ago, 6,500 was really good. And now you run 12, 13,000, all of which taxes the oil system. And um, uh, it's very important to be cognizant of what's going on with regards to that system between the, either the shaft and the, and the bearing. And, and uh, what gets it there is the guy that makes the oil system. And that, once again, that's what developed John and my relationship for some 25 years. Well, John, let's talk about, um, you know, the purpose of what you're going to be using. You know, you talk about maybe you're going to be flying inverted. You know, you might be running a sprint car and, you know, have the thing swinging sideways, just going in circles, lap after lap. Or you might be on something that you're constantly in the gas or on or off or road racing. Evaluating the venue um, and, and how you're going to use the vehicle and having the right lubrication system for that. What do we need to know? Well, you start with. You know, I mean, basically, it's all a function. The one thing that's completely uncontrolled inside of the engine is the oil. It's really a fun. It's going to move with regards to whatever dynamics the vehicle itself experiences. So we're going down a drag strip. It's fairly simple. We have a pretty good idea of where it's all going. It's going to end up in the back of the engine. So hopefully there's a sump back there and the oil can collect in it. Well, that works good. Well, you know, then you start turning. If you turn left only, well, that's not too bad because typically when you turn left, all the oil goes to the right. So circle track seems like a pretty simple venue until you get the hydroplane racing where they turn the engine around in the, in the hull. And now when you're turning left, all of the oil is being forced to the other side, which is not where the windage is driving the oil. Uh, it's, but it's where centrifugal force and the turn will certainly drive it, overcoming that 200 mile an hour plus tornado that's going on inside the crankcase. So then road racing, well, now we're going left, we're going right, we're accelerating, we're braking, oil goes to the front, to the back, to the left, to the right. Um, well, that's not too bad if you're kind of on a flat field, but then you go into off-road, you know, and all of a sudden we add up and down in the crit, you know, just like in boat racing for that matter, up and down become critical, you know, variables in the game. And then, uh, well, let's take flat, but short, and you go into tractor pulling, where it's just your basic six, you know, 680 cubic inch, 6,000 horsepower, 6,500 foot pound of torque diesel spinning a 300 pound crank at 5,500 RPM. Sure, it doesn't run for very long, but you better have the oil pressure that you need while you make it down that course. So uh, we do some experimental aircraft engines on occasion, you know, and we really start thinking about, gee, <laughs> Christmas, this guy may be upside down. But then you can't kind of knock the rock crawlers because they'll go sit on the left front corner of their, car, of their truck 
at a 45, 50 degree angle for 15, 20 minutes, trying to figure out how to go, go to the next step. And all that oil is going into one particular spot on the oil can. So you better have thought about the fact that this has got to continue for an extended period of time and make provision for that. So 90% um, of cases, you know, basic dry sump systems are a great solution. Uh, in drag racing, where, like I say, it's fairly simple, a lot of times we can get away with a single single stage external wet sump pump, where, you know, we're just pumping out of the rear sump because the oil has a pretty good chance of getting there. Uh, but in all cases, you know, as things intensify, like Jack was making, you know, reference to, you go from, you know, a 300 cubic inch motor to a 500 cubic inch motor to a 650 cubic inch motor in the same venue. It changes the operating dynamics inside the sump. We need to change the oiling system accordingly to make sure that we accommodate the, excuse me, accommodate the needs of the engine as it's being used. So way too much to think about. But you know, one thing we've pretty much experienced all of them. So, you know, we try and kind of spread the knowledge around a little, but uh, so hopefully it helps. Yeah, I, I like the way you literally just took us around the entire world of motorsports. <laughs> and uh, when you solve one problem, here comes another series and another problem and all of that. Deciding what you need, the options that are worth the money. Uh, you, do you really need 24 inches of vacuum in a hobby stock? Probably not. Um, you know, one of the things we, you know, you know, when vacuum started becoming an issue, we started evaluating, you know, when it really made any sense. And, you know, and I mean, I'm sure I'll be sworn after this, but, you know, typically we saw the real value of vacuum, um, you know, once you're crossing the 7,000 RPM uh, barrier and you're spending, spending exp extended period of time at that level. Um, so it's not to say we don't like getting all the oil out of the crankcase, but that's really where you start seeing the horsepower benefits to be gleaned from the recovery of parasitic losses due to windage in the crankcase. Um, you know, in the stock car market, you know, the uh, especially back in the days when you know we were talking about you know 400 horsepower plate motors, you know, every four or five horsepower you could find made a real difference. Drag racing, it's not unusual to see 30, 40 horsepower difference, but now you're talking about elevated levels of vacuum that allow you to dramatically change the way the ring pack and the pistons interface with the block. So uh, part of it's evaluating where it is you're gonna be operating the engine uh, and what benefits there are to be gleaned from it. So uh, if, you know, basic, you know, hobby stocks, uh, you know, uh, SECA road racing, uh, a lot of these venues, you know, we do a lot of rally cars and things like that. And, you know, RPMs up and down all over the map. Uh, you know, there's probably better things to spend your time and energy on than trying to see if you can hit some magical line, vacuum line, let alone the fact, the danger that uh, you encompass once you cross that 10 to 12 inches of vacuum. So now we, you know, we're, you know, what most people don't realize we're starting, we need to change the way the engine's built because they forget about what all that oil flying around there did. It cooled everything, it lubricated everything. Well, it's all falling out there. It's not any, it's not there anymore. So um, 
start kind of just evaluating what you really need, be realistic about it. And when you call up and say, well, how much vacuum am I get? You know, first thing, plug a manifold vacuum gauge into your engine and see how much you're getting now. Let's see where you want to go and call yeah, well, your engine builder. <laughs> well, and, and that's the question, uh, you know, the next question, really, where do you find information? Where do you go to for help? Um, hey, there are a lot of myths out there on the internet, but there's a lot of information out there as well. Can you find the answer there? There's answers out there. Um, I think it's more a matter of applying common sense to, you know, kind of a broader body of knowledge. So don't take, you know, don't take for gospel the one, you know, the one, the one uh, news bit or, or story that suits you. Uh, broaden it out a little bit. Um, See what your competitors are doing, especially the guys that are beating you. Uh, if, I, if I just <laughs> need, you know, I don't know. Some people talk a lot. Some people, you know, don't talk a lot. But uh, you know, there's there's generally evidence out there of what works and what doesn't work. Uh, probably the most overlooked resource, especially you know, once you're out of the stratosphere, is is a real engine builder. You know, and. Uh, people that have, have spent the money and suffered the losses to experience what works and doesn't work, which is always why, you know, I mean, we deal in venues all around the world and, you know, in all kinds of different shapes and forms and sizes. And we just can't know everything. We can have guidelines to kind of point you in directions. But what we're doing is we're, you know, relying on what we see working out there which is something you can do also. And then, you know, try and make sure you can apply it to your particular uh, installation and application. What I'd like, to, if I may, I'd like to add to that. And that's oh, a fact that, that most of the work that I've done since technically being retired is uh, forensic work, looking, you know, analyzing damages and stuff like that, because frankly, I've seen a lot, you know, just through my years. And that's probably the best the best indicator I ever received with regards to even connecting rod design with less bearing and what's going on was to be able to look at used parts and and I was pretty tight with I, I made it a point to stay very tight with with my customers and I traveled all over the United States looking at engines getting torn apart uh, and that an engine and I think John will agree 100 percent in disassembly and close examination of, of an engine, it'll give you the information you want to know. It doesn't have to be failed. It does. You don't have to be picking up parts. In fact, most of the time when you're picking up parts, they're worthless anyway. But if you got eight cylinders, you lose one. There's seven of them that are going to tell you what's going on. And um, it's a very valuable uh, resource. And, and any good engine builder, I mean, that is probably one of their biggest, you know, sources of information is, uh, is to analyze used parts. And um, uh, you, it, it will give you the information if you use the, the common sense necessary. Jack, is there anything you can do, you know, but before you either get to the rebuild to look for used parts or obviously before a catastrophic failure, you know, can you look at anything with the scope? Will that tell you anything? Oh, can you without a doubt. I mean, even here, I, I have limited resources here, but I, I mean, I, I'm still, relatively active in the industry and I've got a microscope out there that I use every day and what it is is you may pull an engine apart I mean I'll give you a simple example is is you look at a real stressed rod bearing uh, but as I said it goes through a flow it's got to go across the main before it ever hits the rod 
And they said, well, you know, every other bearing looks good, but all my rods look bad. But if you take a scope and you start looking at the main bearing and you look at the crown of the main bearing, something off top dead center, and you start to see these small little dots, it's, it's there's stress on the main bearing. It's just not as gravitous as the stress that ended up at the connecting rod. And um, um, that sort of thing, and the dimensional integrity, uh, you check the, the, the boards of the bearing, the wear of the bearing, it's worn more on one side, you may have alignment or line board problem. Yeah, there's, and if you speak with any real credible engine builder, they spend a great deal of time analyzing engines that have been run for that exact. It's, it's an effort to, you know, inhibit the potential failure. What you're going to do is try and beat it. You'd rather find a, a stress bearing and say, well, wait a second. Look, if I cut the clearance down by half a thousandths, I can dissipate the load a little bit more and maybe save the engine. Uh, and no, it's a, I, I'm personally, at least from my experience, it's probably one of the most valuable resources to, to you know, inhibit the potential failure of the loader. Yeah, that, that's great knowledge. You know, John, let's say I'm, you know, looking to AVA to uh, find my solution for oiling system. Oh. Is configuration a one and done thing? Is it something I can do incrementally? What's what, what, what way do I need to go? Well, you know, the system is basically completely modular. I mean, what we are is a toolbox full of parts that we assemble to suit a particular installation or circumstance. So, I mean, there's a, the basic small block Chevy three-stage pump that's pretty straightforward, but that doesn't preclude you from down the road going, you know, we can take the pump and we can convert it to a four-stage pump. We can take the pump and swap it to the other side of the block, just depending how, you know, how and where you go. Uh, there's ways to scale oil pressures. You discover you need more or, you need, or you, what you got has got too little. Um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's, you know, to, you know, the rule of thumb is, let's put it this way, a basic three-stage dry sump kit is going to be way better than the absolute shot from a gun best wet sump system there is, you know, there is. So you can't hurt yourself by just starting. And then as time goes by, as you get an experience, you, you know, there's easy tricks to, to implement, um, you know, you know, you start with a basic pan, you discover that you've got the room, you can go into a deeper pan with a bigger kick out, you know, help with, you know, parasitic or windage losses. Um, you need to, uh, you know, um, we can skip, you know, you've got too much oil, you know, we're of the opinion that you can't have too much, but you certainly have too little. And there's consequences to that, which is why we always, you know, make sure that we've got ourselves covered when we recommend that, you know, here's the way the thing ought to be configured. But, you know, we get to circumstances where uh, people get to en into engine development. We're starting to see uncontrolled oil pressure, which is usually a sign of over pumping. Well, you know, we can, we can drop in a smaller gear set with a gear spacer and scale the pump down. So there's no need to worry about starting too big because you can always make it smaller, but you know, they don't grow very well when, when you don't have enough to start with. So, um, you know, as, as you experience, um, you know, you discover things that you can do. I mean, is there horsepower to be gained by playing with the uh, oiling system? Like, you know, you know, reconfiguring it to try and generate crankcase vacuum or, you know, reduce flow and things like that. Sure. Uh, but, 
you know, there are probably other things that most people could do could yield much more. You know, so I mean, we try and basically make sure that people get a basic system that'll that they can survive with. And from there on, then, you know, there's all kinds of things down the road, you know, if you find yourself needing something. So, mm -hmm. and, and I know, Jack, we, we kind of touched on this uh, a little bit, but, you know, maybe even more so uh, for either you or John, how do you monitor lubrication system performance? Well, go ahead, John. Well, I mean, the tough thing is when you're in a car, you got one, you got one gauge. You've got, well, you really have two. You've got oil temperature and you've got oil pressure. Obviously, the most critical is oil pressure. Uh, so, you know, knowing what you're getting and what you've got is a good place to start. Um, you know, it still goes back to uh, how do you tell if you've got enough? Well, you know, what Jack was talking about, next time you pull the engine down, take a look at the bearings. They're, they're the, you know, they're the arbiter. Uh, they'll tell you whether you got enough or you're starting to see scuff marks and stuff like that. Maybe you beat jack it up. So, you know, that's a good a way as I can think of. Um, the, uh, the, I mean, in a car, it's very difficult. And of course, most, most high-end engine motors run engines that cost a dyno. And if, you know, you've got to sustain a, um, the oil, it's pretty common sense. Your oil pressure increases RPM. If you see the oil pressure um, um, drop at RPM, you've got a problem. You've got a supply problem. It's pretty obvious. Uh, then you have, you know, and of course, in later years, uh, GPM becomes very important. And it's it's not so much the volume uh, of, of of flow, but the consistency of flow. The one of the things that contributes to the uh, oiling failure or bearing failures, which obviously is an oil failure, is uh, uh, inconsistent oil flow, in other words, variation, um, and that you can usually pick that up by either GPM or, or pressure because you'll see it vacillate. Um, and those are the you know, if you're not supplying enough oil for whatever needs the engine is dictated, you'll see an oil drop, you'll see an oil pressure drop, and of course, you if you if your oil flow as you raise the RPM and the oil flow starts to either sustain or or fall down. Um, you, you've got a problem. And like I say, if the oil flow, make it simple, uh, the oil going through the engine needs to stay consistent. And only well, one of the nice things though, is once, you know, once you establish your baseline, theoretically in most instances, you know, if you've got, if you see you've got enough, it stays consistent, you know? So, I mean, we're fortunate that, you know, we're not getting, you know, changes and swings and things like that. We've got a system that's supplying, you know, requirements that, uh, you know, short of damage, you know, to the to the system. Uh, it's you can pretty much forget about it and just let it go and worry about other things. Well, what what can I do right so that I don't do something very wrong? <laughs> um, watch your gauges. Uh, make sure your tanks filled to the appropriate or your tank, your pond, or your or your pan is filled to the appropriate level. Uh, that you're not reading about how if I take five pounds out of it, I'll gain 10 horsepower, five pounds of oil pressure out of it, I'll gain 10 horsepower. Recognize what you need and stick with it. Um, you know, invariably, you know, that's always the good one. Well, you know, if, if I take five pounds out, 10 pounds is better. Yeah, until everything melts out on the ground. So, I mean, 
Lubrication systems are real straightforward, real simple. There's only a couple of decent ways to make pressure. And as long as you can maintain the pressure, worry about everything else. Uh, you know, if we can get a good consistent oil supply that makes the engine happy, so be it. You know, you're, you're done. You're ahead of the game. Very, very basic. I mean, if you can sustain an oil temperature, you know, somewhere above the 210 degrees and you maintain a consistent oil pressure, and all of those things remain or not, you know, are, are, are not changing. When I say, you know, it only takes a bearing, uh, if you're running at speed, and uh, when I say at speed, at, at indicated RPM, of, you know, above six, 7,000 RPMs, um, literally milliseconds, and I'm not even talking seconds, without oil will damage bearing. And once you've damaged the bearing, the ship has sailed because you've interrupted geometry of the bearing and, and it'll self-degradate. You can put all the oil you want to it, it'll go away. It only takes a very brief or intermittent, intermittent uh, uh, stress on the bearing to create a failure and then it'll degradate from there. There's, and there's, you can't solve it by putting more oil into it. So, so uh, like I say, if, you just, if everything sustains all of those, all those uh, numbers, even in the car, when your pressure, when you, when the guy comes down and sees the pressure drop down from 80 to 20, you better let off the throttle because he's going to be picking up parts. Yeah, and someone did ask uh, how much oil pressure fluctuation is acceptable for a high-performance race engine. Well, I mean, you're going to get fluctuation with, uh, with temperature. So as your temperature goes up, you're going to you know, you increase or uh, forget, decrease the viscosity of the oil. So you know, you're going to see pressure drops. Um, but you know, what you're really looking for is consistency. And I mean, when you see erratic oil pressures, when you need to start looking where we're starting, starting to think of, you know, we're gulping air at the inlet of the pump, either in a dry sump or a wet sump system. Um, I think that's really it. Establish baselines, uh, watch to make sure that you're maintaining them. And, um, you, you know, you've done as good a job as you can do right now. And next time, you know, next time you decide to, you know, rebuild the engine, if you want to reconfigure or just be satisfied with what you got, like I say, it's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. If it's working, go worry about something else. Awesome. Uh, hey, uh, John, Jack, thank you so much for being a part of race industry week. As always, it's really informative. And uh, I know what you guys have done with Aviate and the company as a whole, uh, you know, for more than half a century, it's just been incredible. Well, we enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy the industry to death enjoy being on on the on you know on race industry week enjoy going to the pri show and you know it's just a great place to be john jack i'm sitting here looking at your faces and thinking how much experience is right there uh, you have a lot of knowledge uh -oh. years sweetheart enjoy your christmas and uh it's nice to be included and uh um thank you then and great job guys great likewise all of you thank you registering on epar trade is easy to start click on the join for free button on the home page first search your company to see if it's already in our database if you see your company on the list, click on it to select it. Then, choose Claim Company if you are one of the decision makers, an owner, marketing person, or main company contact. Or choose Join Company if you are an employee, and press Continue. 
If you couldn't find your company in our database, select Register a new company. On the following page, fill out your name, email, phone number, job title, and choose a secure password. If you chose Register a new company, you'll need to choose your business type. Select Supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose Racing Business if you're looking to source new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose Race Team if you own or are a member of a professional race team. Then, enter your company name. Please provide a website, Facebook page, or LinkedIn if you have one, and choose to either claim or join the company. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Finally, click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. An email will be sent to your inbox. Please confirm your email address and you will be approved shortly. Welcome to ePartrade.